0: So this has been our first full day of retreat together. And um, usually it takes a while to, um, to arrive in relationship to our experience more fully. Um, it takes uh, some patience to be with whatever has come up for us during the day. Um, And particularly for some of you, it's your first time to enter this kind of an experience, the form of a retreat, or to be in this uh, environment which is new for you. Um, So generally speaking, with these retreat experiences, one needs to uh, give it um, time. It takes time. And that's one thing often in our everyday life, we don't have a lot of. There's a tremendous sense of pressure often to, to keep moving on to the next thing and skimming over what we feel and what's happening for us because of the demands of our lives. And then we get used to multitasking and having a lot of things to attend to um, and things responding to us in very expediently and quick ways. We live in a very fast world. And, and then we come into a meditation retreat and sometimes we have a conscious or unconscious expectation that we're going to respond in the same kind of speedy way to the desire to suddenly get peaceful. And uh, after we've been sort of rushing around. <laughs> um, so that's not very realistic Um, And often, sometimes what we do come into relationship with is the residue of what we've not really given ourselves time to be with, the restlessness of the mind or perhaps uncomfortable feelings or maybe things in our life that we haven't really attended to uh, deeply enough, sadnesses or memories that haven't been digested properly um, or anxieties that can come up or distraction, the mind is just used to, we're often very used to living in quite distracted ways. And so to have this containment of the silence um, and the schedule, uh, not being able to move very much out of that, it can be quite an intense experience and it can um, highlight how much we're actually out of relationship with what's actually happening for us. Um, so, you know, there has to be, really, in this practice, there has to be a, a lot of uh, patience and kindness, because where we can then react and then pressurize ourselves even more with an ideal of how we should be you know, we read all the books about meditation or we look at, you look at the teacher sitting here and we might seem <laughs> peaceful or we might have all sorts of ideas about us and what we should be like or what we think you will be like or you, you think about other people that seem to really you know, be quite enlightened and then we look at our own experience here and now and think, whoa, you know, it's just kind of a bit of a mess, you know, so... This, uh, you know, this idealization often really becomes an obstacle to being in relationship with actually what's happening. Or perhaps we've done a lot of retreats, and then we come to a retreat and we have all sorts of ideas and memories of what's happened before, and that gets projected into the moment. You know, what what a different kind of way that a teacher said it, or a different kind of an experience, or I had a really peaceful retreat, I was just teaching a retreat in Cape Town with a friend of mine. And someone had, uh, his complaint was that he'd had this very, very blissful retreat. And why wasn't this retreat he was doing now as blissful as the last one? You know, and it's like, well, you know, beginner's luck. (laughs) And this this is how it is. It's very, you know, it's not just a trajectory. We just go up and up and up on some sort of cloud and out, you know, so... It's a, it's a practice of becoming more realistic and more in relationship with our experience as, more, as deeply as we can, being as present as we can. It's not so much about having a certain kind of experience that we would like to have, but being present for what is. You know? so, so in that way, it's a very doable and simple practice, but not necessarily always easy. So being able to uh, begin each moment with coming into relationship with how is it now, what are we present with now, and then working from there and being you know, able to, to, um, to then realistically be working with what the body is, how the body is, what the feeling tones are, how the mind is, uh, what we're actually experiencing. This, um, <clears throat> today, uh, we began by really exploring a, a very important uh, part of the path in this uh, way of uh, the journey of the path from the place of, uh, of the experience of... of um, Dukkha or struggle or suffering or unsatisfactoriness or discontent uh, to being able to work with that consciously, to transform it, to come into a deeper relationship, a more real relationship where we can lessen our suffering. This journey or this path, as the Buddha articulated as suffering to non-suffering, it does involve a path does involve a practice. In some ways, the, you know, the deeper truth of the heart, aware and present here and now, is always true. That's always the deepest truth. But on the other hand, we're not always in touch with that. We get obstructed and we get uh, dislocated from that uh, deeper home. And so the path of practice, although it is a, a journey and it is a path, and it's a path deepening here and now, not necessarily a path going somewhere else in the future, but it does involve some kind of application of a process that helps us into this deepening relationship where we can listen beneath the currents of our reactivity to touch into and experience and taste the peace of the presence of the heart and the mind. So this, this, this practice of path activity, one of the things that the Buddha said is that it's the application of the path activity in and of itself that, bring, that begins to break up what obstructs our ability to be more fully here, So sometimes we think I have to do this practice and then when we come from that position of I have to do it, it becomes or I have to get somewhere or I have to change myself or I have to become enlightened or more peaceful. When we come from that position, it becomes a struggle. But when we come from the position of actually what we're doing is just moments applying like little by little, uh, moments of path activity, and then trusting that process of the power of that activity of path to, in and of itself, to do the work of transformation. So sometimes this path is likened as one um, Thai meditation master, likened the path from one shore to the other, from the shore of the mind caught up in its projections and its craziness, and its uh, reactivity and its uh, discontent, uh, to recognizing a deeper abiding from one shore to another, from suffering to non-suffering. This, uh teacher, Ajahn Lee, made the analogy of it being like a bridge, a bridge that spans across a fast-flowing river, the analogy being the mind. The mind is often like a, full of currents just flowing out all the time, usually into the future, into the next thing, into thinking, into worrying, into planning, into our aims or into our memories. This is the energy of the mind flowing out through the senses. And so this uh, this is the currents that we're traversing he said, "Like the path activity is like creating this bridge that goes from one shore to the other. Building a bridge. And on the near side of the bank, you you have a pillar, and on the far side of the bank, you have the pillar. And both of those pillars, you can sink into the earth. And the middle part, the middle pillar, to hold up the middle of the bridge, you have to sink down through the currents of the river." which is very not so easy to do. not so easy to build. Apparently, I've never had to do it, but as an engineer, it's probably the most challenging part of building a bridge. So when we... uh, This is the analogy of the three aspects of the path, beginning with, as we did last night, the reflection on ethics, guided by the precepts, the essence of which is to live in harmless ways, as well as we can, towards ourselves and others in the planet, that this, in a way, is a a tangible practice. The the bridge on the far side, the the pillar on the far side representing the fruit of the path, which is uh, to see more clearly, to see into the nature of reality. But what it actually enables this clear seeing is the analogy with this middle pillar going down through the currents of the river is this practice of what we're doing. It's called samadhi or gatheredness. So plunging that middle pillar down through the currents of the mind, the practice of being present and steady within the moments of our experience is actually, in some ways, sounds very simple, but probably it's one of the most difficult things to try and do. In in essence, it's simple. It's very, very simple, but it's difficult because of the nature, the fickle and and, uh, mercurial nature of the mind. So, it's, uh, so this today we've been really exploring this, and so just arriving, we've just been arriving here, uh, which is something in and of itself. Arriving into our body, arriving into a presence, being with us, the, walking with a sitting, uh, with ourselves. But this practice of gathering is really about arriving, arriving more and more deeply, and gathering the different. The, the disparate parts of ourself is gathering back into awareness, into presence, or suffusing awareness through all the different dimensions of our being. And it sounds almost like we have to go and sort of pick up all these scattered pieces, but actually what begins to happen as we're more simply present with a very, very simple focus, very, for example, the breath that we've been working with, then gradually this gathering organically starts to happen. So again, the practice is, is simple. It's always just this much. It's always just what's here with us now. If we think about it too much, it can become a real overwhelming project, <laughs> the project of awakening. And if we read too many books, it can become really overwhelming. <laughs> But in the reality, it can only ever be just this much what we're with now. You know, even if we're with something that's very burdensome and is just really spinning us out and feels like we'll never be able to cope, in the reality of what's here, we can always cope because it's just this much in this moment. When we start thinking about it and then projecting on top of what's here uh, through our anxieties and worries and and uh, projecting from our past experience, then we create a complexity. But in fact, if we just say, well, what's actually here now, usually, even if it's not easy to be here now, usually it's workable. And it will shift. As we become more present, then we start to enter a really more mysterious alchemical process or dynamic that is where we can experience quantum shifts that don't usually happen when we just go along the trajectory of our known pathways of the mind. So although it's very simple, it's a profound practice because of this alchemical transformational potentiality of awareness, which is the fundamental nature of mind, of heart. And it's that which is usually hard for us to trust, because we trust what we think about things rather than the process of being really present to things. So there's a practice of becoming more present to how it is. How is it now? What are we with now? And then just uh, beginning as we were today, this samadhi, this gatheredness, is supported by... Um, different factors that we can practice, these factors of path activity, the factors of the training of attentiveness, moments of attentiveness, of training attention. Usually our attention follows whatever we're thinking about, so when we start proliferating about where we're going and what's going to happen or why we don't like what's happening or how it could be better, how I could be better and so on. And then that's where our attention goes and that's where our energy goes and there's this feeling of being pulled out and the sense and shape and the mind becomes shaped. We become shaped in these structures of, of, the, of, of our thinking. This is how the mind is. But this training to train attention is, starts in a twofold way. First of all, as was taught this morning, just using a very simple thought to bring attention here, like, How is it now? It's an invitation to be in relationship. How is it now? So, this thought form, How is it now? we can ask ourselves, and it brings us into direct relationship. With how is it now? You know, pain in the knee, or a little bit distracted, or interested, or half listening and thinking, or whatever we're with. You know, maybe absorbed and peaceful, maybe agitated. So then, the to 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 help really steady more more deeply, to begin to the mind which is so mercurial and quick and fickle to begin to steady it on the slower rhythm of the body. Which in and of itself there's, tends to generate a certain amount of resistance because mind likes to just flow wherever it wants to. <laughs> so how is it now? And then bring, using a thought form like that to guide attention to now and then beginning to latch the attention to something like the rhythm of the breath. It's just the ancient practice of mindfulness of breath. Maybe increasing the breath, the long breath, following the whole breath, feeling the whole breath a few times so you can really feel the breath in the body. And this begins to help steady or catch the mind's liquidity and begins to steady it. And in in a certain way, this practice of samadhi, or what's sometimes called jitta which means unified mind, because as the mind begins to steady on the slower rhythm of the body, connecting with the breath, then it allows the, the luminosity of the mind, the natural luminosity and brightness of the mind, to begin to suffuse into the body. So to to train attention in this twofold ways. First of all, to bring attention to the actual experience, not what we think about the experience, <laughs> but the actual experience of something very simple like the rhythm of the breath. And then the other dimension is to receive it, the experience. If we've just got the first, more active part, the yang part of just directing attention. Without the receptive, then the meditation tends to become more an act of will or strong effort, but there's not really this integrative uh, process of the unification, because for that to happen, there has to be the yin or the receptive to really receive what we've brought our attention to, to receive the experience of breath, to receive the experience of the sensation and the feeling of the body, to receive the body, to receive yourself within presence, to suffuse presence through the totality of your experience. And that's when this alchemical process begins to happen It shifts into another dimension. The Buddha made an analogy in the cultivation of this practice of, uh, what's called jhana or samadhi, of gatheredness, of focusing, deepening peace. The analogy he made was, um, it's a bit like, this is something from the culture of his time. He said, it's a bit like if you were a bathman's apprentice, I guess in those days people had communal baths and someone would help prepare the bath if you're going for a bath, and then someone's helping you to prepare what you need to have your bath. Uh, So that you know that that you need to gather in a bowl some uh, flakes, some soap flakes, and then in the soap flakes you need to add some water. And then as you start to add the water, you need to massage the water with the flakes. And then as you do so, the flakes become a different kind of substance. And then you can use that substance to wash. And so in this way, the analogy of the, the bowl is like the bowl that everything is held within is this awareness. Everything is held Within everything is you know we the the awareness the body is within awareness we are aware of the body this is the bowl this is the larger container and then the flakes are like how we experience probably today the disparate parts of the body it's not only the physical body but the emotional body the thought body. The different parts of our being that are usually scattered and spread because of the impact of how we live. Um, and then when we stop, we just can feel you know, this kind of flakes, parts of ourselves disconnected. <laughs> We're not unified. But gradually, this drips of water, moments of attentiveness drips of water, just applying that. And then as the water mixes with the dry flakes, like the bits of the body that are disparate all over the place, and then we just in the middle of that, rather than thinking about how we should be peaceful, working with actually what is, in the midst of that we just add this moments of attentiveness, moments of awareness, bringing that into the body with the breath, using the breath to guide the mind then this breath is like the hands working this, the, the flakes and the water together, working together. So the breath, the attention, the body, it all begins to work together and then the substance begins to shift and change. What was dried flakes, what was water, begins to change into a, a sort of a, a ball of a suds. And it's uh, in in the same way with this practice of samadhi, it begins to alchemically shift and change the energetics and how we experience the body and how we experience our inner energetic body and how we experience uh, the mind. So this uh, this gatheredness uh, begins to happen, this samadhi, little by little. This is the practice because it will... You know, it's an ongoing practice. You know, sometimes we can't get near it because the mind's all over the place, or we have a strong emotion or I mean, something has hit us, some difficult news, or something has come to us during the day, and then we just find ourselves really upset or you know, there's all sorts of things that come up and then you know, that can all still be held within the container of awareness within our larger bowl. Whatever it is can be held, but we might not be able to really stay that present, but we can still pray it stay as present as we can. And there's just mixing within the situation of our experience, whatever it is, just mixing to the extent that we can, these moments of presence, these moments of awareness, because it will in and of itself begin to shift the substance of our experience. So another way of talking about samadhi is the process of healing. It's something that is actually has a healing quality to it, unifying. It naturally starts to inform us, you know, how to where to soften, where to let go, to release. It has an intelligence. This is tapping into the deeper intelligence of that is that is awareness sometimes called the prajna or this depth of wisdom which is our, the innate intelligence of the heart and mind which often gets eclipsed again when we're just running along through our uh, usual patterns and reactions but that takes time and patience to listen beneath the currents and keep Listening and dropping beneath the fast running rivers of the mind. So, this, this um, another thing that the Buddha said about the cultivation of this practice of samadhi said one also has to learn to withstand sensory impingement. I think sometimes what can happen to us and what does happen to us as practitioners is that we can get very sensitized. Um, and it's, it, it's a paradox, really, because on the one hand, one, one needs to really learn to bear with the impingements of life. Uh, on, the, on the other hand, one becomes more sensitive to the impingements. And so it's quite, uh, it can be quite difficult, because usually what, what we do in relationship to our sensitivity which means that we feel more, is that we armor ourselves. This is a, sometimes a natural suit, put the armor on and go out there and do whatever we do, but then we forget to take the armor off and it just kind of layers and layers and layers. And then we lose touch and we morph out of our innate sensitivity into our heads and don't you know, feel less and less. And that's a, very dangerous for us as human beings to not really be sensitive and in touch with our feeling nature because then we can do all sorts of um, damage to ourselves and others and to our environment. So to really maintain our humanity, integral to that is our ability to really be undefended, actually, and to feel more acutely and be more sensitized, but also in that process to withstand the impingement upon the senses. So, you know, so the Buddha talked about to cultivate samadhi, one has to be able to sometimes withstand that which isn't pleasant to be with, maybe unpleasant sound or maybe unpleasant feeling or maybe harsh words or maybe cool temperatures. Or... And certainly this, this you know, the, this, the, the times that we live in of increased intensity uh, where we have to, in a way, learn to withstand uh, more impingement and more difficulty. I think this is a very important that we don't become um, so um, sensitized in the way that we can't withstand difficulty. But actually we realize that as we become more aware and present that it gives us a strong resource and courage and ability to be fully present, sensitive, but also to withstand whatever life will bring. I had um, recently, I was, um, I just left South Africa actually a few days ago and um, one of the things that um, I did before leaving was uh, I co-led Mostly I didn't actually teach it. My friend taught it. uh, My friend is um, quite a well-known author, not so much here in the US, but she's South African, but um, actually now lives in Australia. Her name's Joanne Fedler, and she's written a number of books. One of the books that she wrote was about her process of deciding to emigrate from South Africa to Australia and um, the heart-wrenching journey that, that she undertook doing that uh, with her family uh, due to violence that happened to, you know, within her near family and so on. And it was a very difficult position, uh, decision to make because she had always um, uh, been very deeply involved in supporting the transition there, the political transitions, and had been an advocate for, um, for offered pro bono advocacy for people um, in support of those in more marginalised and vulnerable positions, particularly women, and had been avowed herself to really stay in the country, but found herself taking this journey of emigration, and she wrote about it in a book called When Hungry Eats, because she she took refuge in eating, <laughs> and um, and then realised at some point you know, the deeper issues involved and wrote through her journey. She's very humorous about her her writing in her writing, but also very profound in certain ways, very real. Anyway, we did this creative writing retreat together, and she hadn't been you know she she hadn't visited our hermitage, but she had this sort of quite cherished ideal about Dharmagiri. Hermitage and how peaceful it is and lovely. And as we were driving, I went to pick her up from Durban Airport. It's a three-hour drive inland. And as we were driving, um, we were we just left the winter there's um, southern hemisphere, so different. And um, it's also the fire, like here actually, there's danger of fires. It gets very dry, so we have to burn fire breaks to protect the land. And that night, as we were driving towards the hermitage, there were fires all around us. And this was, you know, if there's a certain... In, in, in where we are, in KwaZulu, in the skies, they're, they're very... In the mountains, they're very... Some of you here know, have been there. There's a particular um, incredible spread of stars and darkness that's really magnificent. And so just driving into this incredible African night with these fires burning, and she completely um, threw her because it was like, you know, um, her ideal of this sort of peaceful landscape was ablaze. And so we arrived and we talked about it, how it was a metaphor not only for our work um, in, in South Africa, and, that, and as it turned out, the work of the retreat, because people came to the retreat, and as you know, the lives of people there are quite um, intense, and as the retreat went on, the stories that started to emerge were, were very, some of them were very difficult stories, but what was very beautiful was that the context of sharing the stories within this very held and healing and shared environment together, this container together, um, surrounded by these, this kind of awesome, vast sky and landscape on fire. <laughs> and in a certain way, I began to feel this was an analogy for the times that we're in. And at the moment, I know here in the U.S., I was just uh, looking at, the, um, at uh, some news that came in that there's so many fires going here in the west from Arizona to Alaska, about 50 fires, um, out of control, some of them, some of them quite near here, some of the parks, and this is the times that we live in. Is the times, as we mentioned last night, where the Earth, in a certain way, is burning, and the climate is changing, and we, we, we are—you know—it's very likely that we will live to see an Earth very altered from what we know, it's particularly in terms of the climatic uh, patterns. So it's, it's an interesting time to, to be here, alive here uh, in this increased um, state of uncertainty and instability where the things that we might have felt were secure and uh, stable for us are in, in some ways not so certain. <laughs> it's not so certain. Never been so certain. In reality, we've just had a bit of a blip in history of our human evolution, where we've had more of an illusion of certainty and comfort and sustainability. The reality is, it's been much more uncertain for centuries and generations. But we've managed to have the technology to manipulate our environment to the extent that we can actually have this sort of bubble-like illusion for a while. But it's obviously being popped. There's this um, very powerful teaching that I'm very fond of, in this, in this very essencey teaching in uh, Buddhist um, range of teachings called the Heart Sutra, where in one of the lines talks about the Bodhisattva lives um, without leaves, dream thinking behind, lives without walls of the mind. And this, this, in a way, this is an analogy for the awakening process. As we awaken, we begin to awaken out of our dreams, out of our dream thinking, and we'll awaken into being more fully here and to, to choosing to live without our constructed armoring and walls, to be really as fully here as we can, as open as we can, as sensitive as we can, in the midst of the burning, in the midst of the impermanent. And this waking up out of the dream, you know, waking up in a certain way into something of a bit of a nightmare um, in terms of what's happening around us environmentally. And it's a, it's a hard thing to wake up. It's a hard thing to wake up out of the denial that we all have that what's actually happening. I you know, think about denial quite a lot because it operates so profoundly for all of us. In terms of our own impermanence and in terms of what 's happening on the planet, <laughs> and the the sure reality that the ways that we 've been living is not sustainable, if we continue to live like that, then we're really crush the systems that are supporting us and you know in uh, South Africa for many years, uh, we had particularly in KwaZulu, but we we lived in the midst of the AIDS pandemic, which hit in a very powerful way and um, sort of unfolding all around us. And then we had for 10 years a government that was in profound denial and uh, refused to really uh, look at what was going on. And in a certain way, there's a kind of collective thing that happens when we deny reality. <laughs> it becomes a strange agreement that what is unreal becomes real. You know, and then you sort of lose touch with, uh, with this uh, undercurrent of dis-ease and, dis- and, and dislocation. So in the process of awakening which is what we're attempting to really do by being more present, it is an engagement of being willing to to be more and more fully with the reality of our experience and the realities of what we live, rather than using uh, this practice to try and hide out somewhere. So in a very simple way, we uh, practice with the breath, This is the great um, support, the great friend that we have. Because it's always ever only about coming back to here and now. That's all it ever really can be. In terms of the reality of what we can engage, is being here now and being with the breath. And as we're with the breath, not only is it something that can help like that uh, circle of friends in our little writing retreat in the midst of the fire. is not only something that helps gather this samadhi, this gatheredness, and brings a sense of refuge in the midst of whatever life will bring to us, whenever uh, the the winds of the world, the, whether it's going well, and you know if we feel very elated and happy a projects working out, or whether we have a collapse, and financial collapse, and all things start falling apart around us, or whether we're sick, or whether we're healthy, whether we're successful, being praised, or whether we're being criticized and decimated in some way or another. All of these, what's the, called the winds of the world, are sometimes beyond our control, and we're all experienced, them. all even great beings will experience. That this, this important to know how to have refuge in the face of the world, to know how to taste peace, to know how to re-enter a stillness in the movement, to recognize as we enter this gateway, this simple gateway of the breath, one breath at a time, as we become more present, then we have uh, inducted into a refuge, a refuge of the being aware, being present with how it is and knowing in that refuge that we can face and be present for whatever unfolds. So not only is this practice of being with the breath, helping to gather, uh, to focus, to unify uh, the, um, the, the mind within the body, the body suffused by the awareness of the mind, but also... Being with the breath, we begin to notice that it's always changing. It's always in a state of flux. Something so simple is revealing to us the reality of everything. Everything is in this state of flux and change. It's never staying the same. So as we breathe in, it's automatically changing to the out-breath. As we breathe out, it's changing to the in-breath. Even if we look at something and we say the breath, it sounds like a thing. But if we actually start to look at this thing called the breath, then we can't really find a substantial thing called the breath, although we have a, a name for it. And in the same way, when we start to look at the body, We can have the same experience or this feeling that I'm feeling, which is so uh, uplifting to me or maybe so devastating to me. And we have a name for it. It's joy and happiness or it's sadness and despair. But as we look here and now more closely and start to really notice what is here, we can say, well, actually there's a feeling and there's there's a whole kind of, um, structure of thinking around it. But underneath, we keep looking, we notice that that too, uh, as beautiful or as desperate as it may be, but it's also in a state of change. It's also in a state of flux. It's also vibrating and moving, just like the breath, and is not exactly a thing. So, in a certain way, we have a language that talks about things, me and you and Spirit Rock, and what we like, what we don't like, and how we understand the world. But when we start to look more closely, we can start to see that everything has this nature of what the Buddha called Anicca, means it's not Nicca, it's not permanent, it's not permanent, it's changing, it's moving, it's becoming something else. Every moment is constantly becoming something different. And yet, everything that is changing, like the breath, is arising and passing back into this presence. Here and now. The sounds, thoughts, the feelings, the breath. So when we can allow things just to change as they are and allow the day to turn to night, the night to turn to day, the in-breath to turn to out-breath without so much reactivity, so much grasping and holding onto what's changing or so much emotional reactivity to the things that we like and don't like, then we start to drop beneath that reactivity and notice that there's a presence here. There's a stillness. There's an underlying deeper current that's peaceful, that's stable, that's unchanging, that just is. And it's this in this practice that we are uh, moving into, recognizing and realizing. So it is here that we allow finally the silence to enter, (laughs) the great silence of the heart of the night. So in this practice that we're doing together to take courage, to take heart, uh, to take patience and kindness, so that you can allow the practice to have a chance. You can allow uh, to give yourself a chance in this space that we've entered in together these few days, stepping out of the craziness, (laughs) the momentum, the creativity, the drama, the dying world, and all the despair of that so that we can cultivate our capacity to be more fully here, not in a way to escape whatever may unfold, but to escape more skillfully, to be as fully as we can with the rawness and the intimacy of life, but to also know within that here now always is the refuge of just this much one breath taking us, that which is impermanent revealing to us the impermanent taking us to the unchanging, the present aware, here and now, heart, that actually has huge capacity to meet and huge intelligence and quantum leaps of creativity and wisdom to meet the unfolding of our lives. So, once again, before we finish uh, tonight, this session, I encourage you to uh, be simply with your breath. And with this inquiry, how is it now? listening into your being, into this awareness, this presence here and now, listening and allowing the silence to be received. It's not a dead silence. It's an aliveness. And that listening... Is the listening that you have is the same listening that I have. It's where we meet. It's where we find the common ground, the ground of our being, here, together, in the midst of a world that is burning, with faith, with courage and with presence. So if you um, still have some energy, you're not too tired after your day of practice, there's a session of walking meditation. Um, it's actually very lovely to do that as the night draws in, to, uh, to walk in the night. And then uh, we'll meet back for the last sitting at 9 o'clock.